0: Hi, thanks so much for coming back to the Skylight Books podcast. I'm your host, Tyler. I'm a bookseller in Skylight Books. You should come check us out at 1818 Vermont in Los Feliz, California. Uh, Today, I'm going to be joined by Warren Zanes. Warren is a New York Times bestselling author, a Grammy-nominated documentary producer, and a professor currently teaching at New York University. As a teenager, Warren Zanes joined the Del Fuegos, making three records for Slash Warner Brothers. Later, after earning his Ph.D. in visual and cultural studies from the University of Rochester, Zanes released Memory Girls, the first of four solo recordings made for dual-tone Nashville. In the nonprofit area, Warren was the vice president of education and public programs at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and for 10 years, executive director of the Rock and Roll Forever Foundation. His books include Dusty in Memphis, his, the first volume in the celebrated 33 and a 3rd series, Petty, the biography, Revolutions in Sound, Warner Brothers Records, and his new book about Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska, Deliver Me From Nowhere, which is why he's joining me today. Thanks so much for being here, Warren.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Uh so you know, we were just chatting. You're you're in New Jersey, you're in Montclair, New Jersey. Watching yeah, deer not, walk not,
1: by. Yeah, I'm not I'm not native, you know, because because Bruce has such a New Jersey connection, I feel obligated to say I'm not authentic. I'm from I'm you're, from New Hampshire, but I have been here. Uh we moved here when my now, eighteen-year-old was one, so I've done a little time in New Jersey. You've adopted it. You feel you feel one with, with Jersey. No, um, not that I don't. I don't have any issues with it, but I feel like New Jersey is is way more complicated than I. I haven't even scratched the surface of what New Jersey is. You know, I'm in. I'm in really like a, a New York City bedroom town. So there's a lot of people commuting into the city. And I know there's a grittier, more real New Jersey lurking around me.
0: Yes. Uh, I I think there uh that's that is seems to be the case. For such a small state, uh it digs deep. Uh you you're not out in the swampland or anything, is really the <laughs>
1: yeah, no. And 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 there are also, you know, not to like bring out a parade of cliches but but there are many new jerseys right and you know you can drive 30 minutes in any direction and you're probably going to be surprised like when when i would go down to to see bruce springsteen it was a completely different new jersey i felt in a way like i was getting closer to the New Hampshire that I knew, uh, mm-hmm. so, so it's interesting.
0: It's a it's a much more yeah that's a, a rural, very yeah kind of uh, it just it doesn't feel it doesn't feel that close to New York City is really
1: <laughs> yeah I mean I th- I think somewhere along the line post fifties we developed this conception of city and suburb and I think we impose suburb status on a lot of places that really have more of a connection to the rural and and i think that part of bruce's story gets obscured sometimes and and i and and i'm not meaning to create a a segue to nebraska but the, yeah. it, it leads us there you know I, suddenly he, the the jersey guy names a, a record nebraska mm-hmm. that's such a That's such a gesture right there. But I think he pointed to a place that you could never call a suburb. And in talking to him, he describes his upbringing as, you know, as having rural connections. So when he responded to country music and folk music, I think he was doing it in a pretty authentic way that sometimes people miss because all they're seeing is you know, New New York suburb and boardwalk, and it's right. like, well, it's it's also got ties to the agrarian,
0: which right he talks about, and you you have in the book right of his grandfather working with worker, you know, selling uh, to to you know workers from the south, and uh, and you know he's never left these sorts of ranch homes, right? I mean, just briefly, he always seems to return back to specifically that part of Jersey. I think I. I'll out myself now as a massive Bruce Springsteen fan and say that I saw him on, on Broadway. And the, the whole point of that, you know, was that he never wanted to go back home. And he's like, now I live 10 minutes away from where I grew up. He like, that's always been a part of him and it maintains uh, uh, within yeah. him.
1: Well, I think, and obviously a big part of this book uh, hinges on Bruce Springsteen's openness, you know, and he's talked about depression, He's talked about trying to, you know, untangle some of his childhood and adolescence. And I think the lucky ones among us get into therapy at some point. And we may not do it in quite the same physical way he's done it, but we circle the towns we grew up in, you know, maybe just in a therapist's office. I think he's done both. And it's, I don't know how... I don't know how you move forward in life not doing that. I'm I'm just from the everybody should be in therapy school. So Nebraska is a great fit for me, but I also really admire him for the way in which he's been unguarded in talking about depression and complicated childhoods, where it's like it's it's not a choice between loving the family that you come from or not loving them. It's like recognizing in them what they couldn't do, Mm -hmm. what they did do, what they couldn't do. And I just don't, I think if you don't go back and do some of that, um, it's probably going to come out one form or another, and it's probably not going to be good. So you know, I, I love that circling the hometown. I sure as hell don't want to go circle Concord, New Hampshire, though.
0: <laughs> you're not you're not getting in the car driving down anytime soon, no.
1: no I'm I'm fine right here.
0: <laughs> well, I, well, you know, we've kind of beat around it, so I'll, I'll just say uh, I I think this interview should start with I, I don't think I've asked a question. We've just been sh- talking, so <laughs> I wanted, the first the first question. To be the way that that many of your interviews in your life sound like they've started, which is what was it like playing with Bruce Springsteen on stage?
1: Yeah, it was um it was amazing. Um and it's God, it's so funny. Like, okay, so how many times have I been asked that question? Many times, and like you just asked it, and it's like, why does it feel like it's the first time it's been asked? And why does it why do I get a little jolt of like a catch in my throat? Um, I think that happens because, you know, what was I? I was in my late teens. And here was a guy that I've been listening to since before I was in my teens. And he told stories that made me feel like the characters in those stories had, had, something to do with who I was or who I was trying to become or what I was struggling with. I was in there in some way. And and I know a lot of people heard his music in that way. And there he is like we're in a shitty little club in Greensboro, North Carolina. And, and Bruce Springsteen comes in the dressing room. And I think in telling the story, I can't not, see a little bit of myself, My, the naive kid who was drinking too much because he didn't know another way to, to operate, who had a head full of dreams, who was, you know, going to have to find out that that's not where the answers in life are. Uh, and then, and the hero walks in the room and and kind of says just by virtue of being there you're okay let's go play stand by me and hang on sloopy so when you ask that i'm like i circuit through this time and i and i come back to the seat that i'm in now and it's like wow like you know i'm going to have those days where i wake up and i'm ready to tell the first person I encounter everything that's wrong in my life. But I've had things like that happen where, you know, your, your superhero is not supposed to walk into the room and say, uh, Hey man, I got your record, Uh, but it, but it happened and I've been able to live the kind of life where I get to process that. And I get to sit down with them years later when I can string a sentence and have an adult conversation and ask them questions that I've been wanting to ask. And, uh, so it, it does inspire some kind of clumsy
0: gratitude in me. That's, that's, uh, I, I love that. That's amazing. Uh, it's, it's such a, uh, I mean, I, I picked up your book at the store cause obviously I was just interested and I felt like it was such a great you know, I you you almost can't approach Springsteen without his relationship to his fans, and it was sort of fascinating to see your connection just right off the bat. I I was hooked for the the rest I, of the book.
1: I, I want to tell you a story. Um, yeah, be, because you mentioned Springsteen on Broadway, and 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 a part a big part of any Springsteen story is going to be a fan story. Yes, his he's he's one of the the masters of allowing those relationships to happen and cultivating them. So when when I went and saw Springsteen on Broadway, I took my younger son, Piero, and he's Hamilton generation. So, sure. <laughs> you know, these guys like brought me into the world of the American musical. But, right. but you know, at a certain point, they stopped listening to my music and I listened to their music. So he's not there because he's a Springsteen fan. He's there because he's with his dad, who's a Springsteen fan. (laughs) And and I'm there because my friend, Tom Zimney, was directing the Springsteen on Broadway Netflix special. So it was one Mm -hmm. of the nights they were shooting. And and we sat down and I'm with my, my, you know, I'm long-term in recovery. So I'm with, I brought my AA sponsor, who at the time was a union bricklayer, a real New Jersey guy, mm-hmm. and we sit down. That's so the three of us. You know, we're a we're a pretty funky crew. You know, <laughs> this union bricklayer, this NYU professor, and a kid eating some sour patch. You know, <laughs> and and, I, and and you know we settle down. I start looking around, and I, I said to my my sponsor, I was like. That, I think that's Ron Howard over there. And he was like, that sure looks like Ron Howard. I said, but, and then he said, and he lowered his voice. He said, but the more interesting thing is that I think that's Meryl Streep right in front of you. And we just started looking around us. And I guess it was because they were shooting that night. I've never seen so many celebrities in one place at one time piero my son who, i don't know how old he was at the time 13 he was right next to jessica lang like we are just starting you know it, and jessica lang was next to spike lee who was next to maggie gyllenhaal it was insane <laughs> but all of this is to say i got to watch meryl streep watch bruce springsteen Now, I was interested in watching Springsteen, but i got to be honest, I was more interested in watching one of the greatest actors in American film and theater watch Bruce Springsteen because I knew I was watching a fan and I was watching somebody who was there because they were going to learn something and they knew it. I felt that intuitively. So it was it was a fan getting to watch a fan who's also Meryl Streep <laughs> and it was amazing. And it made me think about Springsteen. Like, you know what? He's, he, and, 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 and I'm saying something that I know everybody knows, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like he's more than his songs. He stands for something bigger. You know, he's like this kind of Mount Rushmore type of thing. And everybody there was processing something like their feelings about this guy and they all have their favorite songs but something more is going on and and this is what you know what makes it possible to write a whole book about one album that does because he stands for that stuff and and because he's got this openness that has allowed that fan connection and when i sat down and interviewed him i was i was talking to a very open guy who didn't have all the answers and was ready to explore a particular subject matter with me, which makes it an amazing interview and makes me go away even more
0: of a fan. That's, uh, th- that's an amazing, that's an amazing story. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's because that room and for Springsteen number is so small. Like that was such a tiny compact, you could feel the energy in the room and I can only imagine what it was like uh, feeling those people's energy around you uh, yeah. who, who were all drawn for the same reason just as you said it's that he I was blown away by that show because I, I think I I didn't I hadn't read reviews I kind of wanted to go in as as cold as I could to sort of feel whatever that night was and yes that whole show is this sort of a deconstruction of his of what the persona he built and he wants to talk about how he was this kid who wrote about us, you know, uh, drag racing, but didn't have a driver's license. And, and, and it's that openness that inspi- there's there's a vulnerability in it. You can see one another in that. And it, it was phenomenal.
1: Yeah, it's, it's wild, the vulnerability, but also I'll sit down for a master storyteller anytime. But if I happen to also love the songs that they've written and the records that they've made, and have listened to those thousands of times it's the best case scenario yeah add in <laughs> add in Meryl Streep Bush, <laughs> Bruce Springsteen, and you've got an amazing night and there's my son Piero who's like, well, like I was like I said just trust me man one day this will all make sense
0: <laughs> oh my gosh uh it's that's amazing uh well, so so uh, I guess I'll say in in the book that you discuss, sort of the that moment when Springsteen walks into the green room and you're a teenager who's you know on the verge of a life he doesn't really know. You think you know you're in a band, you're touring, but it's you all kind of looked at each other and said, "That's the guy who made Nebraska," and I guess that obviously, you know, with knowing it or not knowing it, that's obviously the seed or the kernel or the the very beginnings of this book, and I guess. What was it exactly that was you, your personal relationship to that album that you thought, I need to explore this and, and write a book and, and dig deep in it?
1: Well, so two things. Um, one is a personal, con- I just went two things and then I like that. So that <laughs> three, but I really meant two. So two things. One, I, I had some connection to the, the characters in the songs. They were desperate people. And they felt like people I belonged with now I I didn't I didn't know why that was, but I felt that uh, and that's that's with writing a book. That's the layer that's not on the page. and I think it's common for people to have some personal cord mm-hmm. and it's it gives a lot of energy to the process. the second you know, thing that compelled me was the defiance. And and we, you know, why did we respond to punk rock? Because we like the idea of people saying fuck you to you know schools, uh, you know, institutions. Um, and sometimes it, the, the music didn't matter so much. It it was that it was that defiance. So when Springsteen, he makes the river and it's his first number one record and it's got his first top 10 single. And then he makes this record that's a total departure. And I just think in it, we saw this defiance. Like if I say this in the book, it felt more punk rock than any punk rock would seen because somebody who, you just didn't see people do that at the top of the charts. It was like he was saying, no, I'm making this record. And I don't give a crap what the marketplace says. And we were like, whoa, like who does that? You know, look at the charts in 1982 when Nebraska comes out. There's not another Nebraska. Now you can go down, go, don't go in the top 10, go top 20, go top 30, go top 100. There's no Nebraska. So we look at this
0: guy like, what compelled him, what allowed him, what was
1: in him. And we didn't have answers for this stuff, but when the guy walked in, it was just like, he's the one who did that. And he matters because there's a lot of great art at the top of the charts but there was nobody making the kind of art that was as raw as Nebraska. And it was just like, you know, I knew we weren't alone in that. Like a lot of people were looked at it and like, even before they listened, you know, they knew this was rough and raw and unreleasable. And he was going to release it. And that's just, that was the hook. And here I was 40 years later, still feeling it
0: yeah well it's something you do so well in the book uh is you set the table of what the river is and uh and how it is this big this his first number one record it's his first top 10 single it it captures the e street band that's that was his aim right that's what he wanted the feeling of a a record that is a band playing uh the the all of the as you kind of put it the, the the perfect imperfections of that right the 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 way that the album also becomes a double album that doesn't hang together. Uh, Springsteen doesn't get credit for being I mean I guess to some some people he's not uh the obsessed, You know no one thinks of him as a Brian Wilson or like a Steely Dan, but he's also an obsessive who'd spend years in you know in the studio writing 80 songs because of the live performances overshadow that, I feel like. Uh,
1: yes. Yeah. Yes. It's funny. I, I I was I was talking to Jimmy Iovine yesterday and you know Jimmy Iveen was saying like, you know, I learned more from Bruce Springsteen and John Landau than any two people in my life. Those guys set the course, you know, it was very, it was very moving stuff. Um, But he gives them a lot of credit and he's talking about like, what was it about Bruce? It's like that when he made up his mind, he wasn't looking around to see like, is everybody with me? He was like, he was in it. And then I said, you know, what about his second-guessing himself? You know, where does that fit in? And, he, and Jimmy was just like, well, that was internal. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't second-guessing himself because of what somebody to his left or right said. That was an internal struggle. And mm-hmm. I learned from that, too. But that internal element meant many hours, many days in the studio. Right. Being overly meticulous making records you know that you know it wasn't it wasn't like a layup making a record like born to run darkness on the edge of town it was it was a fight but i think what jimmy was saying when springsteen felt this is the way to go nobody was going to talk him out of it
0: that's and you can sense that sort of persistence of vision right i mean it's just it those are the only way these albums could have been and and i love you have the little story in there about where uh, a new engineer comes in he's like i think we just cut a single and everyone's like no 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 he doesn't want sing-. like he did yeah. <laughs> the only yeah. rock star didn't want singles or rock star didn't want singles
1: but 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 that's the that's the complexity though and you know and it was great here in jimmy talk about it because he had a front row seat for this but we see such order and intention when we look at a series of albums it's misleading like it's it's they're they're stuck in you know they're walking through poison ivy they're walking through vines they're lost their compass is two miles back you know the, the whole way through and that doesn't mean he didn't know it when he saw it. It just means there was a ton of struggle. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, it, well, and so I guess what I was going to say is the river is this crazy overstuffed, just everybody's playing on it. You can hear everything. It sounds great. And you do, again, like I said, it's, I love this that aspect of the book because you get so deep into the recording and how it took so long and what the reception was and what people loved about it and that tour is stuff of legend uh I, I went and saw the the anniversary tour I guess it was the 35th yeah. yeah I saw it twice in LA at the um the the Dump that could jump and he was the he shut it down and now it's like a soccer stadium down there it was down by USC and yeah. and even even 35 years you could just sense the the you know electric I mean just electric playing And, you know, he does the whole double album. Then he did all the hits. It was unbelievable. You know, amazing.
1: I mean, this is a thing with with artists who are great performers. Is, you know, you make a record and then you go on the road to support it. Mm -hmm. But something happens on the road that can only happen on stage. That it's almost inevitable that that artist then goes, I want to get that on record. I I want to get some of that on record. And I think it's a it's a good and important moment for a lot of artists, but I think if they have if they follow through and Springsteen did, they're going to come back to these are two pretty different things. And I now I got it as close to on record as I'm going to get it. Now I want to get back to making records. And, yeah, right. You know like the two things there's a lot of cross-fertilization but they remain two different things, and you only get to really see this and think about it if it's a long career. If it's a career of three records, forget about it. But Springsteen, we have a true long career, and they're amazing to you know put under the microscope because there's all kinds of second guessing. There's all kinds of like you know backsliding
0: uh, with the greatest artists. It's it's unbelievable. It, uh, well, and so so then you come off the river and, it, and I think I think the thing I, I also uh, i mentioned to Dan earlier, I talked to, I don't know, Alex Papadimus. He had his new book about Steely Dan come out. And, yeah. you know, what that book does well is, is a lot of what your book does well, which is sort of this like cultural place setting and letting people in and, and history and context. And, and it also kind of it, it lets you go back to the music and listen to it in a different way. And I, I mean, I'm a Nebraska fan. I love the album. I think it's great. But I, I grew up listening to it as like Atlantic City's on greatest hits. You know, you, you almost it almost doesn't stand out in the way that it's supposed to stand out for me because I listened to it after I, I was it was made before I was born. You know, I'm listening to it all as a piece. You know, and so yeah. now I go back to it and I hit the first track on Nebraska on. Uh, I just played it and his voice. It's like a it's a whale. It's a cry. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's, I've never heard it sound like that before and i've heard that song. i've listened to the whole album so your book just does that it opens up to hear um, it a different way i I,
1: th- I think i'm not talking out of turn when i say this and, and it's like make no mistakes i don't i don't have lots of direct contact with bruce but uh he sent me a text saying he listened through to all of nebraska the other day and um, it was, God, like what's the best thing that can happen when you write about music is that it gets people back to the music. So enough was going on that he was like, I'm gonna go listen to that thing. I was like, fuck yeah, <laughs> like but really like validating, you know, cause I'm I'm still doing it. The odd thing that happens you finish a book like this and it would be intuitive to think that's right. When you go, thank God, I never have to listen to this album. again. But that's not what happens. Like the whole project is it, its like, it's put you right deep in Nebraska. And I listen more after finishing than while making, which is, I mean, that tells you that you're writing about good art. But it also tells you that, yeah, that's what music writing should do: It to keep bringing you back to the music, but with not a, not so much a new perspective, but another layer to your
0: existing perspective. It, exactly, and and it's I I can say it it already has. That's that is my experience. Is now it's it's just you see it in a new light, and and I I didn't know as much of. What Bruce, I mean, he's obviously spoken about what he was going through at that time, but I, you know, I've never connected it in my mind. And, and now you hear it and you, you can't not hear it. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And I, uh, I just, that context, and I can only imagine what it was like to hear it when it came out. And I think you do a really great job of putting people in, in those shoes of someone in that era to go, this is what he's coming off of. It's this big, boisterous, loud, fun album with a lot of people and then it's one guy in a room with a guitar and he sounds like he's on the verge of tears for most of the out- like it's unbel- it's unbelievable. Yeah,
1: it's it's this is what he's coming out of. This is what he did and this is what he went into. Yeah. Like I needed the river and I needed born in the USA. And I I mean I I myself didn't know the degree to which Nebraska and born in the USA were intertwined. Mhm. So that was another I mean a new there was some of that but they were so much more intertwined than I realized and you know that was one of that was one of the starting places is is how do you get you know in in the interview Springsteen says Nebraska born in the USA those are as far apart as any two records in my whole catalog that's the whole scope and he released them one after the next like what like i needed to understand how that guy got from nebraska to born in the usa and that was where i started to fixate on the story of the odyssey and it was just like preying on me that 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 just the simple to try to put it simply the idea that odysseus returns to his home and Ithaca, to be the true hero that he is, father, husband, leader in his community, hero. The only way that he could get back there was to be disguised as a beggar, an unknown, nothing. Like that there is a connection between the two. The true hero can be a beggar, and not have to go around saying, hey, I'm a hero, I'm not a beggar. You know, no. A true hero doesn't need to say that. They know who they are. And I'm like, I was so convinced that that was part of Nebraska and born in the USA. Born in the USA, the the hero in full. Nebraska, hero disguised as a beggar. Nobody. And... We were probably, you know, in interviewing him. The day I spent with them, like, we were probably three quarters of the way through, and I'm like, "This thing's burning on me. Like, I got to tell this story to see if he thinks there's anything to it." You know, you know, and it included in the book where he tells me that Nebraska doesn't relate to Raging Bull, and I and I had done a lot of work connecting those, so I'd already been told no, but I'm like. <laughs> And I felt so sure about that one. And definitely one of my greatest experiences in talking to an artist when he kind of in his way he signed off on this theory, like it made sense. And um God, like that in my in my little scrapbook of like things that happened that I'd like to live again. <laughs> that's <the best laughs> one of them, you know. <laughs> But he, but he's, again, he's generous enough that he let me tell this story about the Odyssey so I could sit in the room and watch him reflect on it. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, I mean, and it's, you kind of, I guess it it kind of, I was stunned also because you think of, you know, Bruce Springsteen, rock star, and in my whole life, he's been this larger than life figure, but you hear in that time, even in Nebraska, right, it's like. Or before you know, leading up to Nebraska, coming off of the river, you know, he's just a guy who waits in line for a rental car, goes to the movies, you know, doesn't doesn't have any sort of like he really could sort of disguise himself amongst the people like you. He could wear a beggar's clothes, and people would just not even you know. It's kind of it was before he reached that mega you know it's mega stardom, I guess. And I think that must have played a part. Yeah,
1: I'm convinced that once you have that kind of hero. The hero that can also be the beggar—you actually don't want the other kind of hero. You don't yeah. want the you don't want the high gloss hero because they just don't have anything to do
0: with your life. Yeah, they live in a different world, right? That's it. They can't possibly relate. Yeah,
1: but you yeah. can see, like I'm—I'll crank their tunes uh, if 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 it's summer and the top comes down. But when shit's going down in my life. I need the hero who can also be a beggar.
0: Yes. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. That's amazing. I, it, it's true. I mean, right. He, he just never lost touch with that for the, the run. It just, he didn't move, you know, he kept, and I think it's staying in, you know, staying in Jersey and, and it's funny you mentioned raging bull. Cause so obviously you, you do, there's a whole chapter about badlands, not the song, the movie. Uh, which is so, which is so interesting. I went, what a synergy there that that just happened that, you know, be, but you know, he, he, that was a huge inspiration, but it's funny as I was reading this book and I, and you mentioned Raging Bull and even you, you have that great sort of handwritten track lists that he sends to, uh, to Landau, uh, you know, he mentions Paul Schrader having sent him a script. That's the, the, the title of born in the USA. I don't know. Maybe I just rewatched, you know, first reformed and, and card counter. And, uh, and I want to see master gardener, this sort of uh trader's man in a room trilogy. And, and all I can think about when I'm reading Nebraska is, so this is a guy who's alone in a, in a house that's barely furnished, watching late night TV, driving around in a car, looking at his old childhood homes uh, in a small town, feeling like he can't connect to those people. And then he goes back to his room and he writes in a journal lyrics It's like, he's a Paul Schrader character at this moment. He, he could be Travis Pickle or, or, you know, uh, Ethan Hawke in first Reform. He almost has is taking on that, like, uh, that persona. And obviously he's a Paul Schrader fan, but it's so funny to, I was like, he, he's a man in a room. He's God's lonely man writing in a journal, figuring it out. And I I couldn't deny that connection was amazing to me. And
1: and he just spent a year on stage playing arenas. Right. Yeah. But that that's a, that's a pretty deep character. Yes,
0: right. Yeah. That's a guy who has some um, a real duality uh to him.
1: Yeah. Yeah, a yeah, a, a complicated being who in l- looking at his own complications throws off art along the way.
0: And whatever it is that's expected of him, and I think you kind of talk about that in the book as well. That I think is so interesting is he was so genuinely interested in in who his fans were and what they expected of him, and and wanted to kind of find find a deeper connection or find what it was that they were looking for from him. And I think that was I, well, you, there's you you reprint or you you kind of tell the story of um, is it. What was the the star Starvinsky? Is that how I I couldn't know how to, I didn't know how to pronounce it? The, the fan in St. Louis who he bumps oh, into.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just I I read that story. You know, it was an off night on the river. He's going to see uh, a Woody Allen movie, and this fan sees him in the popcorn line, and asks Springsteen to sit with him and with his sister. And Springsteen sits between them. And it's, it's just, who does that? And right. Yes. And, that was my thought. <laughs> yeah. And then Springsteen's going to call a cab. The guy's like, we'll drive you back to your hotel. You know, get him in the car and say, hey, can we stop by? Can you meet my parents? And, and like he does it, he goes the full way. And the one, his, this guy, Steve, his, girlfriend didn't go that night but she writes this beautiful piece later on and includes the fact that this kid's driving and he puts in a springsteen tape and starts singing along with springsteen and i'm like just the outrageousness i love this guy's outrageous outrageousness in being a fan yeah as much as i love springsteen's response to like uh, in watching it participating in it watching in it, and like going, I'm going to learn something. Mm-hmm. What what popular musicians have long careers and don't have to contend with, who am I singing to? I mean, I think they all have to. Like, who am I singing to? Taylor Swift has had to ask it at a few different junctures. You know, the the Rolling Stones have to ask it. And, and nobody's above it, I don't think. Madonna had to ask it. And Springsteen just got a little more anthropological. Like, he put on his pith helmet, and he fucking got out there. And, you know, he's going to a fan's house and having watermelon. And, you know, it's just it's fascinating to me.
0: Yeah, I I just don't know. I, I don't know who else at his level would do that. That's just kind of, I, he feels singular in that way, really, or or, or nearly singular. It's, it's just, yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: But, but, but I feel like, see it for what it is. Make no mistake. This is not like just an act of generosity. This is how you get better at being up on the stage. Like, know who's on the other side of it in the audience. The more you know them, the more you can be that person up there and really lay into the songs, really lay into the show. Uh, it's just he's taken in the necessary information. I think uh, there are artists who fail to do that, and it's
0: it hurts them. Yeah, and uh, well, so in the thing about Nebraska and I'll say about born in the USA and and it's, it's kind of goes along with the shifting audience and time. And, and he's, I mean, right. You, you kind of print uh, like right as Reagan's elected, he's already, you know, he's, he's not into Reagan. He's, he's, you know, he's this guy, he's been true blue to his beliefs, you know, his whole life and, and was, was kind of, I think he even sees the quote is he's scared about what happened, which I think is yeah, but, more but, vulnerable than most people would ever admit. Right. I, you know. Yeah.
1: You know. But, but I, but I would say he, as a more overtly uh, political being, he, there is an arc. He doesn't, he doesn't start with it. It mm-hmm. might be in him and in his beliefs, but it's, it's not uncomplicated. When you're up there, how much of my belief do I let out? And I think Reagan's America just pushed him to let more of
0: it out. And he does it in a way that I think is so interesting, where he doesn't really, you know, he he's not taking Reagan on. I I don't necessarily think full stop, or he's not, you know, he he's not like a protest song, you know. But he writes about this sort of under like whatever's just under the the what's just on the dark side of the flip side of the coin of the american dream and he writes basically two albums about it back to back in that era and and that's how he takes it on i mean that's that's the brilliance is like it's you know okay america's so great america's awesome you know go go 80s well then what about these people what about these characters in nebraska what about this person in born in the usa and i and i think that's it was just such a smart way to to take it on
1: yeah, it's it's funny like as you're talking it makes me think about how they did the video for Atlantic City and it's like here's Atlantic City the glitz of the casinos and here's how people are living two blocks away. And that's a lot of Nebraska is like what's happening behind the image mm-hmm. behind the veneer what are american lives and um he was just at a place in his life where it it wasn't going to have a happy ending. You know, it's like, why, why give something a happy ending that generally doesn't have one?
0: Yeah.
1: And, and, and and not to like pack it all in, but suicide, the band Mm -hmm. is important. I think because they had stuff that was not redemptive, not a happy ending. And it could still, you know, he's asking that question, like, how far can I take my music out there? And he's, he's drawing on, you know, particularly Flannery O'Connor's short stories and the group Suicide, uh, Frankie Teardrop is the particular song that comes up. Uh, he's looking at these things that don't have redemption, that, that don't resolve with humanity, you know, winning. Uh, and and still maintain their power as art. And I I think that was just a a doorway that he needed to pass through. And one of the remarkable things is he trusts his audience enough that if he can remove that, they can still go with him. And, And this is, you know, when he talks about Nebraska and says, I didn't want to promote it. I didn't want to do interviews behind it. I wasn't going to tour behind it. I wanted to see how this sat with my fans. That's that's a guy who trusts his audience, but is also going to get to know them in that way too. I'm leaving them with this, and I'm not holding their hands.
0: Let's right. see what. Happens. I'm not. I'm not going to show them. I'm not going to make some mission statement about how they should listen to this or why they should listen to what the meaning is. It's just it speaks for itself
1: yeah i can't imagine somebody doing you know at, again like from the top of the charts putting out something that is so on on some, so many levels inexplicable and resisting explaining it and setting it up like i i sometimes go like wow the nebraska the record is important him not
0: explaining it might be as important as the record itself that's such a i mean that's just a uh, yeah again someone with trust of the audience and and just again persistence of vision like he's just like i know this is the right what i need to do and this is how i'm going to do it and this is how it's going to come out it's that's that's amazing that's amazing i
1: I mean i'm not a big believer on full books about single albums you know i think i think it's a bad idea (laughs) But but Nebraska yields so much. Yeah. Like I feel like every conversation that I'm having about it is pretty different one to the next, which is just very validating to me and saying like this this recording has a density. His life at that time, the decisions he made, if there's a lot of key information about who Bruce Springsteen is that it doesn't just explain Nebraska; it explains the guy who's overplaying stadiums in Europe right now. Like, why is that happening? You know, he's in his early seventies. Well, the story of Nebraska helps to explain why that's happening.
0: Absolutely, I, it, it's you've you've, uh, yeah, it, it's the it's the way in. It, it, it's a turning point in both his career and life and creative life. I mean, it's just it, yeah, it, it's. No, exactly. There's there's so many layers to unpack again where, you know, he's back in his small house. And so uh, you, you, you talked about uh, like interviewing him and you've mentioned it a lot. And I, you, you were kind of nervous going in. You mentioned because he had been the interview in a different documentary that you were consulting on. And he just sort of very nonchalantly changed the entire temperature of the room. And I, I would love, which I think is, I, it's like the coolest thing anyone's ever done. I'm just reading it in print. I'm like, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, so so what was, I guess, what was that experience like? And then you go to his house and then you have your first question. And then yeah. what, what was that like? <laughs>
1: well, well, this this was this was an on-camera interview and I wasn't conducting the interview, but I I, I looked at all the questions. They, they were good questions. It was like, you want an interview to have a shape. You don't yeah. start with your heaviest stuff, you. but you don't want to start too light. And this, one, this looked great to me. Um, but I remember everything was set up and it was time for him to arrive. He was kind of coming from his main house down to where his studio and a bunch of his cars are in this kind of U-shaped structure. And you see him just walking across the gravel like, is this a fucking Western? Like, <laughs> is is this Gregory Peck walking down Main Street uh you know and door you know blows shot from the wind it was like it was so epic and um I think people feel the epicness around him so yeah. I don't know if it was like when the first question came which was a totally good legitimate question and he went what else you got it, it, it kind of just changed the energy in the room maybe it brought everybody just right into the task at hand maybe he just wanted to hear another question whatever the psychological effect was everybody dropped into their position and a master storyteller took over and uh you know I'd, i wanna, i want to i want to see intuition and strategy in it um, I don't know, but I I do know he's a master of the energy in a room. You know, he's been up on those stages managing a lot of energy in a yeah. lot of rooms. Why would it be any different when we're sitting there as a film crew? Because from after the first question, after he said, "What else you got?" It was just like fucking home run after home
0: run. you <laughs> was like you're just looking for your seatbelt just to make sure you're in. You know. Oh my God! And and so that put some pressure on you to kind of nail your first question. You felt like right going into was, this book, right? You have to, right? Like that's.
1: Well, I was I was like I was totally overthinking it, and it was just it was just me and him. uh But I didn't I just didn't want to hear what else you got, uh, right? Right. So I, I asked a yes or no question, <laughs> and and with and that got me so fast to my second question. But I you know I'm I'm in my 50s and um I've you know I've 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 been lucky to meet a lot of people I admire a whole lot and I've gotten pretty good at like being at work mm, and yeah so we we got to work pretty quickly and um I I feel lucky to have been trained into that place where you, you can't an interview is not going to succeed if you can't kind of feel peer to peer. Mm -hmm. And like, you got to feel like I've got the authority to be here. I'm not in the wrong place. He's not in the wrong place. I'm not in the wrong place. You know, in, in, inside of you, there's some 12 year old saying, let me out. Let me out. You know, (laughs) no, not today, son. (laughs) You you stay in the fucking car. (laughs) and And, and so, you know, you get to work pretty quickly and then he's, you know, not to overstate it, but he's so generous that you got a great collaborator. And so have your shit together, be agile and don't forget that after you ask one question, you're still going to have to have another one ready. Sure. You know, like, like don't don't just start listening
0: right like i'm so wrapped
1: yeah no totally i've i've like i've done interviews myself i imagine he faces this all the time where it's like you get to the end of your answer and the other person they're like oh shit yeah you right. <laughs> i can ask another question uh, and when when the storyteller in front of you is bruce springsteen it's really hard not to like just start listening and go like yeah, just keep going, man. <laughs>
0: what else? What else you got? Let's get more stories. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, well, and you and this book is like insanely well researched, and I love all the quotes. and And you, I, you, you say you talked over sixty people. Is that is that about right? Or where where did you? How many people did you talk to? Who Not that many. Talking? Oh, really? Oh, I thought yeah, I because. Read, I, Oh, I thought I heard
1: 60. I don't know. No, 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 nowhere close. Um, because there's not that many people to talk to.
0: That's true. It's one guy in a room. Yeah, that's
1: right. Yeah. I, I mean, so that's why, you know, you already mentioned this. I went to a lot of his fellow artists, you know, not operating at his level, but Roseanne Cash, Richard Thompson, Steve Earle, Patty Griffin. Chuck Prophet, Dave Alvin, Matt Berninger from the National. Uh, you know, those interviews weren't about people who had anything to do with the making of that record. It was all about the reception. Mm-hmm. You know, what? why did this one in particular matter to you? And I didn't even know for sure with those interviews that it did matter to them. But I felt like, nope. Nebraska's too big. Everybody's got something to say about it, and everybody remembers where they were. And it was true. Yeah, they all, they all knew. Like it when Nebraska
0: came to town, it was like, "What is this?" It it just has that power. And it it true. It is so again. It's fun again. I'm a I love I love Bruce Springsteen, and it just never hit me in the way until reading this book that it's like, it's such an outlier. It's so different. It's so raw. And, and that's, yeah, that's its power. It's amazing.
1: I don't think you can, uh, you gotta know it to understand the, the guy. You can understand a lot without it, but I just think it's a key moment in his life and it's a key
0: creative work. Did, so, did, who did you speak to who was around at that time? Was there anybody in particular? So, that...
1: You know, John Landau, very, very important. Uh, no, you know, after Bruce, nobody more important yeah. than that. Um, Chuck Plotkin was very important, even though he was primarily involved at the level of mastering. Right. But the story of mastering Nebraska said a lot about the kind of Techno- technological Wild West they were in.
0: Um, yes, yeah.
1: You know, Al Teller at CBS was really important. But again, it was this was a solitary record with a small core team. You know, it was not a band record. There were not as many voices.
0: Yeah. Well, it, so you you just kind of hit on the the technological Wild West. I mean, it's it. It is amazing. Like I, the the story of this thing getting from cassette tape to to store shelves is like kind of half a miracle. It almost feels like I just and and there's so many different you know. Obviously, I think even Bruce in his little sort of handwritten note of track listing is sort of saying, "Oh, I'd love to play with the band on this one," and like you know, this could be reworked or whatever. And and it, those are just the demos, but they become the tracks. I mean, it's amazing.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the only record, only official release of Bruce Springsteen's that he made not knowing he was making an official release. And, and that's really an important part of the story too. It's like, you know, if, if if you and I were talking in your bookstore and we were having a conversation and then suddenly a a camera crew came in would hit this level of self consciousness. i will like, oh fuck the camera. They're running camera. You know, would everything would change because of it? It's the same with recording. Like when somebody's like working on a song and they they're just putting down idea work tapes. They're not in that self consciousness. When they go to make an official release, they're in a studio. It's like, oftentimes in commercial studios, a red light would go on, and it's like. It's the equivalent of the self-consciousness I describe if there's a camera there. So when you don't have that self-consciousness, it's very intimate. You're really getting into the room with the artist in a particular way. And I think that's one of the things that Springsteen got attracted to is he couldn't capture that when he went into power station with the band. You know, one thing was he's, he's as a singer, he's got to go up over the band, and this right. material was suffering, but the other is like self-consciousness. You know, it 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 becomes performance. And when you're just when you're still writing and Nebraska is unfinished, when you're still writing and you're not thinking you're making a record. It's going to be different. And for Springsteen, the difference was audible. Absolutely. Yeah. And he he didn't want to lose it. So he did this unthinkable thing of like, I'm going to put out unfinished work. I'm going to put out rough work. I'm going to put out unfinished work because this is the best version of this stuff.
0: It's you. you, You've kind of hit on something, or you've triggered something in me. It's like you're so right in that 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 self consciousness isn't there. It's almost it's almost like overhearing something from his psyche. I mean, it truly it has that quality of like he's not. It's just it's it's it doesn't feel like we should be in the room with it. It's 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 so so raw, and 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 one of the things, and and we're almost uh, we're kind of wrapping up. I guess it's been about an hour. I we could do this all day. But another thing that you mentioned in the book, and obviously just as who you talk to, that sort of rawness becomes an inflection point for a ton of artists. And I was wondering if maybe you could just speak about the legacy of the record in that way as as, you know, an inspiration point for so much of what after.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've talked with so many artists who talk about 1964 and the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. And there was something about that moment where uh, the message was, you can do this, what we're doing. You can do Elvis Presley. People looked at and went, he's a God and we're mortals and we'll never be able to do that. The Beatles, that was one of the most important things about them was we can do that. And the next day, all of these garage bands start um, in a quieter, but to me, you know, equally significant way, Nebraska being unfinished, being rough, and yet still being so successful as art, it's said to a lot of people, you can do this. You don't need a commercial studio. It doesn't need to be a perfect vocal performance. You don't need perfect pitch and perfect tempo. Like if you've got a song and you've got a story that needs to be told, it's going to come through that. And it just meant that people could attend, you know, rather than thinking about that perfect pitch in a vocal performance, they could think more about, oh, what's my song? It just brings you back to the rudiments. And I think that meant more people could be doing it. So there's this kind of, democratizing effect and then in the wake of that a digital era comes in where people have recording studios on their computers and I think Nebraska just over the years continued to matter for various reasons but one of them was don't worry too much about that audio quality issue like are you telling the story right is the spirit of the story there? You know, maybe your problem is you don't have songs. Like, go write some. There was a, there was a moment um, in, when I was working with, with Tom Petty on, on that book. And, and Tom Petty was talking about being in the studio with Duck Dunn, who was the bass player from Booker T and the MGs. And Duck Dunn was watching the Heartbreakers record something on Damn the Torpedoes. And you know they were like doing seventy-five takes of something, and Duck Dunn's going like, "What the fuck are these guys doing?" And he went to Petty, and he's like, "Have you ever heard a really good song sound bad? Like, what do you what are you chasing? Like, if it's a good song, it's probably going to yield a good performance, and." You're not going to fix it by having a great snare sound. Wow.
0: <laughs> That's the, what a like chestnut of wisdom. <laughs> That's brilliant. No, well, this is also
1: in the, in the age and, you know, my old band came into this that spend days getting a drum sound. Right. And it was like everybody in the room was trying to kill each other, you know, by hitting a snare over and over. Like I was like I knew I knew nothing about making records at that point. And I'm like, "Well, I don't even know what's happening." Like <laughs> well, there's a guy hitting the snare for days. What are we up to? And that yeah. duck done wisdom, I think descended on recording culture. And yeah. it's like, "We don't need that snare. We need a good song and a good performance
0: and let's roll tape. That's, wow. Uh, We could, I could do another two hours on Tom Petty anytime. Uh, That's my other guy. I have the pack up the plantation poster framed over on my wall. Uh, That's my face. But again, live raw, those sound, those songs, they don't sound bad. They don't sound bad. Well, uh, you know,
1: I I love one of my favorite moments in the Petty book is a Springsteen Petty moment when Springsteen's out there. Petty described it to me. Petty had just bought his first car, which was also a Camaro. And Springsteen's in town and calls him up. and like, you want to hang out? The first thing I asked Petty, I said, man, that's so cool that Springsteen did that. I said, would you ever do that? would you ever call a fellow artist and say, hey, you want to hang out? And he looked at me and he said, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Springsteen called him and, they, and so Petty gets in his new Camaro, goes to Springsteen's hotel, gets him. And then they go to Tower on Sunset and mm-hmm. they get five, Petty said they were eight tracks. And he said, I'll never forget. We were listening to the Stones, I think it's 12 by 5, and the song Congratulations, Played, and he said Bruce raised his hands up in the air and said you can take me now and Patty looked at me like I always love that and it was it was so moving to me uh and congratulations is not a great sounding record it doesn't sound like Steely Dan you know yeah. Yeah. but man nothing more was needed for these two guys you know it was yeah. like it was the right song, the right performance. But I love that they're connected, these two guys, at that point in their careers. And that Springsteen is the one who's going to call and say, let's hang out. You know, we're doing that. We're in the same line of work here, man. Like, we should probably be connecting. And then Betty admitted he would never do that. I'm like, it's so, you know, I, I love both those characters and um, it's been super meaningful to me to be able to talk with both of them about records that just are so
0: inside of me. Yeah, that's uh, it's it's ultimately I think what is so phenomenal about the book is just it's it's written, you know, you're a fan, you know, and 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 it's a fan can connect with another fan and, uh, you just got really, um, amazing access. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, there's a lot of love. There's a lot of wonder and there's, uh, there are questions. And yeah. like I feel like if you got those things, uh, probably something can happen.
0: Yeah. And, and obviously you, you crafted it into something that, that I think is sort of, uh, I, I, like required reading. Uh, <laughs> is how I, it. it's, it's it. any Springsteen fan. It's, it's, um, and it's a joy. I mean, that's the thing. It's like you, there's so many great little stories and ephemera and things that you are able to pull into it that I just, I, I, I don't know. I felt like every other page, I was like, Oh, that's a great story. I'm so glad I heard that. It just, you know, and that's what I well, want to read these books for, you know?
1: Yeah. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining me, man. This has been amazing. And, uh, you know, uh, whatever you're working on next, uh, we'll have you back on.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Uh, so thanks everybody for listening. Uh, you should come check out Warren's book, deliver me from nowhere. It's going to be an 1814 in the, in the skylight books, arts annex. And, uh, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Skylight Books podcast series. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to check out the book featured in this episode or others, please visit skylightbooks.com. If you're in the Los Angeles area, stop by for one of our live in-person author events. You can find a calendar on our website. If you like this podcast, leave us a review. It really helps us out. Our music is by Duck the Piano Wire. Till next time.